Let's turn now in our Bibles to Matthew 16. Uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 28. That's on page 771 of the church Bibles. It's also printed in your, your service sheets in the insert for your convenience if, if you want to look on there. Matthew 16, this will be uh, the, the last in our series of these, these first few chapters of Matthew's Gospel. We'll, we'll come back around to Matthew's Gospel first of them next year. Uh, next week we'll start a series on uh, the, the prayers that we see in the Bible. So different prayers throughout uh, Scripture. And uh, tonight actually we're also finishing Daniel. So join us for that. Uh, this evening as we, we close out Daniel. Uh, it's the, the transition Sunday, really. Matthew 16, uh, beginning in verse 13, and reading through to the end of the chapter. And this is, this is God's word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, o, from you Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of heaven, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But for whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there, is some, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Who do you say that I am? There's a sense in which this is uh, one of the most common questions that we come across in, in our world. We make judgments on people all the time, don't we? Right now we have uh, a group of, of conservative leadership candidates trying to explain to, to everyone why they are uh, the most qualified to be the next prime minister. And at some point the, the membership of the party is going to have to decide who, who they think each one of them is. They're going to have to decide which one they think is in fact most qualified. And at some point the general population will get the opportunity to, to answer the same question. We make these judgments all the time, don't we? Is the person who's trying to, to sell you something, are they, are they genuine or, or, or are they 
trying to rip you off? Is the you know is this actually a better Hoover than the one you have, or is this one better than the one that the other salesman's trying to sell? Who's who do you who do you say the salesman is? In the case of Jesus, he's he's showing his disciples and, and revealing to them who he truly is. Now the times come where where he's posed this question to them: Who who do the people say that I am, and who do you say that I am? The the question itself isn't all that remarkable. It's actually the the answer that that's incredible. And we'll see for, for a number of reasons why that is in a moment. But how do you and I answer this, this question? How we answer it is actually absolutely critical. In fact, this, this question for each one of us is, is a watershed question in our lives. And this morning through these, these two, ex, two exchanges where, where the Apostle Peter speaks for the disciples, Jesus reveals to us two aspects of the church's calling which are our two points this morning. Jesus says the church is called to confess Jesus as the divine Christ and secondly to, to follow Jesus as the suffering Christ. Just two points this morning. So first let's see how the church is called to confess Jesus as the divine Christ. Jesus' and his disciples are, are once again out in the, the farthest reaches of, of Israel. And this is really where, where we get to the, the turning point in Matthew's gospel, uh, where, where following this conversation, Jesus will, will turn his attention fully towards uh, the cross and towards, towards going to Jerusalem. And so Jesus, in preparation for that, asks his disciples these two questions. First, he asks, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And the answers are varied. But did you notice that they're, they're spectacular still? The, the Jewish people seem to think Jesus is uh, a reincarnation or something of, of, one of, of one of their past heroes. He must be one of the, the great prophets of the Old Testament that, that they've heard taught about for generations and they've, they've come to venerate. So maybe he's Elijah or maybe he's Jeremiah or even more recently, maybe he's, he's John the Baptist back from the dead. But the answer, though, though showing incredible respect for Jesus, is actually less spectacular than the truth, isn't it? Now what if we ask people this, this question in our own day? There was a, a story in the Times newspaper where uh, a guy named Matthew Paris, who's a, a well-known uh, journalist, recounted a, a late-night encounter in the, the, the city of London with a delivery rider. And this delivery rider uh, stopped at random, and I think it must have been around 2 in the morning or something is, is from how Matthew Paris tells this. And he stops at random and, and asks essentially this very question. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? And, and Paris's answer by, was, was to say, I'm, I'm sure Jesus existed, and I love and respect the character whose description has come down to us through the ages. But I do not believe he was the son of God. And I do not believe in God at all. Now the, the delivery writer said that, that, Jesus, that, that Jesus said he was the son of God. And that he would pray for Matthew Paris. I think this is probably one of the, the more generous answers that you might get in our day to this question. This, this answer from Matthew Paris, this journalist. 
But what we see in our passage this morning is that this is, in fact, a, a tragic answer. Even the answers the, the crowds gave, who had, had firsthand experience with Jesus in his day, were tragic answers. Because they miss the true person of Christ, don't they? So Jesus then asked his disciples, very personally, who do you say that I am? And the answer is both uh, earnest and stunning, isn't it? Peter answers for the whole group. He says, you are, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now notice what Peter doesn't do here. He doesn't relativize the answer, does he? He doesn't say to Jesus, well, for me, you're the son of God. But you better go ask other people their opinions because their experience of you might be different from mine. And how they feel about you is, is every bit as relevant as, as how I feel about you. Their opinions are every bit as valid as my own. Peter doesn't say that, does he? He, says ex- he, he is explicit and he's earnest and he is clear. He confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the King. That's actually what, what the, the word Christ means. It means the, the anointed one or, or, or King. Peter says Jesus is, is King. And he says it as though it is a, a settled and objective truth. Now here's the thing about Jesus. We have to, to, we, we have to get over this, this idea, the, the, this mentality of to me he's this, but to you he, he could be something else. That's not a mentality that Jesus has left open to us. He either is the son of God or he's a blasphemer and deserving of of the death that he died and worthy of being stricken from the the history books. There's no option for, I believe that Jesus is, was, was, uh, I, I believe that Jesus was a real person and love and respect the character of the description passed down. There's no room for that. And we see that not only in Peter's confession, but we see that in Jesus' response to Peter's confession. Look again at verses 17 through 19. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this response to Peter is, is incredible, isn't it? Peter's response was incredible. Now, Jesus responds to him with something equally incredible or, or perhaps even more incredible. But this has also been a source of much controversy in the history of the church. And my main fo- focus isn't going to, to be to answer in detail these controversies. Sometimes when we get too wrapped up in controversies, we it can derail us from the the main focus of the passage, which is to reveal who Jesus is and not who Peter is. But I'll mention them in passing. So three things we see in Jesus' response to Peter's confession. First, we hear the blessing of Christ. Now, why does he bless Peter and the disciples? He says they're blessed because God's allowed them to see who Christ truly is. And that isn't something that, that we're able to do in our own flesh or through our own wisdom. Knowing Christ only comes through faith. And faith is a gift from God above. That's, that's quite a frustrating thing for us to hear, isn't it? That's a frustrating thing for us to hear, especially if you're an intellectual. If you're a deep thinker, you, 
you, you want to, to come up with all the apologetics, all the reasons and, and good arguments why Jesus is the Christ. But, but the problem is there's always intellectuals on the other side, aren't there? Coming up with arguments against why, why Jesus might be the Christ. Jesus says you can't, you can't get faith through the flesh. You can't, you can't, you, you can't get it through, through winning a debate. It's a gift of God. And that's actually a wonderful thing. Because what Jesus is saying to Peter is that it wasn't simply his, his personal experience with Jesus that brought him to, to this conclusion that he's the, the son of God. And that's actually illustrating the answer to the first question. Jesus, Jesus had, had, um, had the first question Jesus asked. Many, many people had personal experiences with Jesus, hadn't they? And they came up with these, these different answers. Some thought he was, he was a really great prophet. But Jesus says the reason why Peter answered the right way, the reason why he, he answered the way he, that he did, the reason why he declared him to be the Son of God, was because, of God, because God, out of his immense grace and mercy and love for Peter, had, had reached down into his heart and opened his heart and his eyes to see who Jesus really is. And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel because it makes salvation something that's, uh, that's not based on random experience or intelligence. But our salvation is based solely on, on the, the loving and gracious action of a loving and gracious God who through Christ we can now call our Father. See, Jesus says that, that salvation is, is a gift from God. And the truth is we hate that, don't we? We'd much rather say, we'd much rather Jesus to have said, blessed are you, Simon, because you cracked it. You know, you, you crushed it in your mind vice. You worked it all out, all by yourself. We, we hate the idea of, of grace. We hate the idea of, of faith being a, a free gift given to us by God. Because we feel most secure when we're in control of our own hearts and our own beliefs. But if we're in, in control of our own hearts, we would come up with rubbish like Jesus was a wise teacher or I really love the description of his character that's been passed down throughout the centuries. You know, the brilliant thing about that, that delivery driver guy in central London in the middle of the night, he didn't, he didn't try to argue with, this, with this, this brilliant journalist that he randomly came across. You know, he's, he's going out there and he's, he's just trying to get curries from one place to another for a living. And he comes across this, this journalist and he, he hears the answer that Matthew Paris makes that, that I thought Jesus is a good guy. I don't really believe he's God. And what does the delivery driver say? He simply said, Jesus claimed to be the son of God and I'll pray for you. You see, a, a late night delivery driver in London gets this passage. So why can't we? He knew it wasn't about the arguments or his personal experience. It depends upon the God of the universe to reach down into the hearts of a sinner for him to see Jesus for who he truly is. And the fact is that God, God can and often does exactly that. And that's the beauty of this. God can and you and I can't. So we don't have to worry actually. We just have to be faithful in, in proclaiming 
the grace of God through Christ Jesus. We don't have to, to keep statistics of how many people we convert because we don't, we don't convert anyone, do we? Jesus says that, that we're blessed when we simply and publicly as his people confess who he is so that a world of, of broken, dying people can hear and by God's grace see and turn and be healed. That's, that's the heart of the gospel. That's what Jesus tells us to in verse 18, isn't it? When he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He, he, he includes this, this play on the name of Peter with, with on this rock the, because Peter's name means rock. His name had been changed by Jesus from Simon to, to Peter, which he referred to earlier. What does Jesus mean by this, this statement on this rock? Uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, and this is the controversial bit, isn't it? Roman, the Roman Catholic Church famously points to this passage as establishing Peter as the very first pope, which is why this passage and these verses within uh, the passage are, are the most written about in, I believe, all of Scripture. But the question, the question asked is if, if Jesus is honoring Peter in the person of Peter, which is the Catholic view, or is he honoring the content of Peter's confession which is the view of everyone else. And again, I won't spend a lot of time on this. But I do think that, that Peter is honored here, but he's, he's honored for the confession that he's making. He's honored because of the content of what he said, not because of anything he's done, but because of what God has done in him and revealed to him. So we don't see Jesus creating some special office for Peter and then that being passed down. In fact, if you've been joining us for our Wednesday evening studies in Acts, you'll see that, that you'll have seen Peter in action and that there were other apostles and, and people, uh, ministers and, and things that, that were, were key leaders in the church along with Peter. Peter was not the only one. Rather, notice who will take responsibility, though, for building the church. Jesus himself. He says, on this rock, I, that's Jesus, will build my church. You see, it's Jesus' church, and the point he's making is that, that Peter's testimony must be the, the church's testimony. That the things Peter has confessed here, the church of Christ must confess. That we cannot stray from this, this declaration that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Any church that does, any, any church that does stray from that cannot be called a true church. Of Christ, Jesus says that this truth is so powerful and it's so important to his church. It's so important to the lifeblood of, of who and what we are as God's people. That any church that is, is founded on this confession, that holds to this confession, is a church that's going to last. It's a church that's going to be secure in King Jesus. It's going to be so secure that, that even hell itself, the very forces of death, will not be able to overcome it. Now, the third thing Jesus, uh, Jesus does is he, he imparts authority to Peter and his disciples as his earthly representatives. He establishes here essentially ministers and elders. He at the very least establishes the earthly authority of the church to, to bind and loose for eternity. What are the keys of the kingdom that he refers to here? It's, it's the authority to to admit people to the, the kingdom through the proclamation of the gospel and the word of God. There's nothing magical here. Uh, I, as your minister, can't declare you 
righteous before God. I can't confirm you uh, as part of the God's kingdom. That's not what the keys are, are, are for. All I can do is open the door of the kingdom by proclaiming Christ as, as Lord and King and the Son of God. He is the, the Son of the one and only God who, who loved you so much that even in your sin, He sent, God sent this King to die for you on the cross. And He raised Him up on the third day. And, and if you put your trust in Him, then, then you'll, you'll enter this, this kingdom. You see, the power... The, 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 that's a, a powerful declaration, isn't it? It's like a key that unlocks the kingdom of God for sinners like, like you and I. But there's more that goes along with it, and that's, that is the, the responsibility to bind and loose. And this is what we do in part in our, our membership in our church. This is what we, we, we did uh, a few weeks ago when 11 of us stood here before you and, and professed and declared publicly our faith in Christ Jesus as our Savior, we were binding ourselves to the truth of the gospel and to the kingdom. And Christ calls us into his church to do that. He also calls his church to, to loose. That is where, uh, where, where at times people will, will, will stand before the church and, and declare themselves as a follower of Jesus, but then it turns out that that's, that, that's not true whether they decide that that's not true or whether through their life and their actions they decide that that's not true. Often they're, they're lying to themselves. And, and what Christ says here is that when, in, when those things happen, your elders have a responsibility from Jesus to, to loose them. That's what we call excommunicating them from the church. And the hope in doing that is that they'll, they'll eventually turn again to Christ in true faith and repentance. That's a very brief overview, but, but there's much to talk about this morning. This passage isn't there. So this section of Matthew's Gospel is really a critical point. It's that, that underlying point. It's underlying who Jesus is, that he is truly the Son of God, and that he's the King over, over all creation. And it's critical not just because of the truths that we hear confessed and, and, and the response of Jesus, but, but because it's the, this turning point in Matthew's Gospel where, where from now on Jesus is is focused on and, and turning towards Jerusalem and to his ultimate work on the cross. And we hear that in our second point this morning, that the church is called to follow Jesus as the divine Christ. Almost to underline the point that Peter isn't more special than, than any of the other disciples, immediately after being blessed, he's rebuked, isn't he? By Jesus. Why? Because he, he only understands the first half of the gospel, Peter. Did you notice that? He understands the first half of the gospel, but he doesn't understand the second half. In many ways, Peter's problem is the same as all of us. He, he thinks that, that he wants a Savior who heals and a Savior who, who rules. He wants a Savior who's the true presence of God, but, not, but, but that shouldn't require suffering. He thinks that, that Jesus is too good and too important to suffer and to die. Peter thinks that the world would, just needs to, to get really excited about Jesus. They just need to see who he is and let Jesus be their king and then everything else will fall into place. What Peter misses is that he's still unholy. That he's still unrighteous before God. That if, if God's going to dwell among his people, if a holy God's going to dwell among us, 
that atonement had to be made for our sins. See, Peter's missed the whole point of the Old Testament sacrifices because he's thinking about things in a man-centered way. Peter can accept Jesus as the, the, the life-giving king, but not as the suffering servant of Isaiah's prophecy, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world through his death and resurrection. Now that they're clear on who Jesus is, they have to be clear on, on what he came to do. Verse 21, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day to be raised. See, Peter takes Jesus aside and he, he rebukes him, doesn't he? Maybe his, his new spiritual authority had gone to his head. Maybe he thought the last time I spoke up, uh, I was blessed, time to, time to do it again. Peter seems to think that since Jesus is, is the Son of God, then he's, he's pure in heart. And if, if he's pure, God will protect the pure from evil and from man's sins. There's no way he, he should be subject to the evil of the scribes and Pharisees and the elders and the chief priests. But Jesus calls us disciples and he, he calls you and I to see that he came all the way down. He didn't come far enough to, to only be called our king. He came all the way down. Far enough to, 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 to stand among us as one of us. Far enough to, to lift the burdens of, of our sins from us, to, to take the shame and the guilt and the debt of our sins and to carry it for us to the cross where he would suffer the death that we deserve. See, he's the king, yes. And he's the lamb. And you can't have, you can't have the king without the lamb. And you can't have the lamb without the king. And Jesus calls his disciples and his church to follow him in, in the suffering, doesn't he? Not to believe only, but, but to follow him, to, to take up our cross, to, to do as Jesus does, to suffer for his sake. What does he mean by taking up our cross and following him? Well, Jesus is saying to us that if we're, we're going to be his followers, then we have to, to publicly profess him and be obedient to him, even though it will cost us much, just as it cost Christ much. There was a a, a very public nature to cross-bearing, wasn't there? The whole city would, would turn out to see these, these crucifixions, to see these public executions on, on a cross. It was a powerful tool for the Romans because it was, it was very, very public. It pro provided entertainment for those uh, who wanted to come and watch and to mock. And it served as a deterrent as well. Be careful because the same could happen to you if you step out of line. When Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to follow him, this isn't a light thing, is it? It's, it's a weighty thing. It's a costly thing. People think carrying their cross is simply giving up things they like, like not overeating when you want to or, or not, not looking at, at, at pornography or watching certain films. But that's not, that's, 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 that's not taking up your cross. That's just... That's simple righteousness, isn't it? That's simple sanctification. What Jesus is talking about is, is actually publicly standing for him and losing things because of that. 
Some of us may lose jobs because of the things we believe about Jesus and publicly profess. Some of us may, may be mocked or ridiculed for, for the things we believe about Jesus and for trusting in him. But what Jesus is talking about is, is publicly declaring the righteousness of God in him and the cost of doing that, the cost of following Jesus. Jesus says we have to weigh those costs, doesn't he? And he even asks the question, that what, what's really the second watershed question that each of us has to answer. One, who do you say Christ is? But two, how valuable is your soul? How do you value your soul? What are you willing to give up for the sake of your soul? What value is there in, in becoming the king of the world for a few brief years if you, if you lose your soul for eternity? What's your soul worth to you? Is it, is it worth the things of this world you'll have to give up? Is it worth the suffering you'll experience for being counted as one of Jesus' followers? That's, that's what Jesus is getting at, isn't it? There's an old film uh, back in the, the 90s. 90s wasn't that long ago, was it? It's not that old. It's old. Men in Black, though, was, was the film where this, it's about this guy who, uh, a young guy who, who's given the opportunity to join this, this top secret group that's in charge of regulating aliens living and hiding on Earth. And to join, he has to, to give up his whole identity. He has to give up his whole life. He can never see friends or family again. And he asked the, the agent recruiting him, an older agent, is it worth it? And that older agent responds, oh yeah, it's worth it if you're strong enough. You have to ask yourself, when it comes to, to following Jesus, is it worth it? And the answer is, it's worth it, not if you're strong enough, but if he is strong enough. You see, it comes back to the question Jesus asked his disciples, who, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? If you truly believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, who died and rose and who will, will return again as he promises here to do, that we'll one day see coming in the fullness of his kingdom. If you believe he's all those things, then taking up your cross and following him is worth it. Who do you say that Jesus is? You see, it's not a question we can hedge, is it? It's not one that we can offer an, a relative answer to based on your own experience. The answer requires real conviction because it requires you to, to lose your life in order to gain it. Let us pray.